This podcast is for informational purposes only. Please speak to a qualified tax professional about your specific circumstances before acting upon any of the information provided. So hello and welcome to episode two of Crypto Tax Sucks. This episode is all about DeFi and we're getting into the weeds of why DeFi taxation is really difficult. Um, In the first episode, we kind of covered off the basics of cryptocurrency taxes, and we got the perspective from Louise Lane of Right Viagar Accountants and Jeff Hancock of why crypto tax sucks. We talked about um, why, you know, it's difficult for people that are on PAYE um, to understand that they actually have to pay tax on the crypto in the first place. And we got your questions answered on how to handle the tax treatment if you've got assets stuck on like FTX, Voyager, Celsius, BlockFi. And we we also did some commentary as well on staking rewards. So as I mentioned, this one is more about DeFi. We're gonna talk about lending, staking, liquidity pools. And I've got some really great guests today. So I'm joined by Joe David, who's CEO and co-founder of Minor Accountants, a crypto specialist accountancy firm. And we've also got Tom Wardle, is COO of Swapsicle, um, which is a DEX on the Avalanche blockchain. So how are you both? I'm great, thank you. Good. good. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start off, guys. I, I love asking this question to accountants because accountants typically, you know, you have to put on this kind of like professional persona. Um, maybe not for you guys because you guys are into crypto and. You're, you're supporting all the crypto bros. Um, but I'm going to ask you, you know, why does crypto tax suck? And should we start off with you, Joe? Yeah, I think, I think because, you know, we've obviously seen the title of, uh, of what you want to talk about. So I've had to think about what my answer to this would be. And I think I, think I could be here for a while. But um, I think for me, it's the, um, and we've talked about this down lots of times in terms of, under, you know, HMRC and, and regulators and, and rulemakers understanding the underlying transactions that are occurring. And I think that the main reason why it sucks is because that isn't being, that isn't happening. And, you know, there aren't, there aren't HMRC, you know, people, for example, or regulators talking to, to companies like Swap School, which are a decentralized exchange, exactly what we're talking about here, and understanding the fundamentals of what's happening. So I think if, if somebody was to do that, I think we would much we would get a much better approach. Um, but unfortunately, people people aren't doing that. So that, that's the main reason I would say. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an early market, right? And it's a new technology. This is when we need to be like collaborating. And I know like some of the frustrations, you know, just so, just so the audience know, you know, we're, we're, um, co-chairs of the DeFi tax working group at crypto UK. And I know there's, there's been a lot of frustration with crypto UK in the, you know, there was new guidance released around DeFi in February and there was no consultation. There was no discussion. It was just, just released. And I know that HMRC, Mm. you know, they've had some legal analysis and they felt the need to, you know, put that guidance out there. But we, it would have been good to have kind of like a bit of a head start on that to understand the rationale behind it all before just having that launched on you just after tax season when you probably just filed um, or maybe you were filing yeah. late and then you've got to kind of take all this on to work out what you need to do. Yeah. 
because they gave an extension as well this year. So yeah. February was possible to be filing. So, mm. you know, we did have people, and this, this is the challenge as, a, as, a, as an accountant and a, an, a tax advisory firm, if you like, that, that we had was that we'd filed a load of returns up to the 31st of Jan. Then we got new guidance. When did it come out? 1st of Feb or 2nd of Feb or something like that. Um, something like it was that. along those dates, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then we had to file, in, in, in theory, we then had to file different uh, information for people after that. But also some people we'd already started but hadn't finished. So it was cross. Do you know what I mean? It was a nightmare. So yeah, I think a little bit more um, foresight on that would have been a bit more beneficial. Mm. Tom, what, what, what do you think? Why does crypto tax suck from your perspective? And it's, it's going to be interesting from your side because you're an accountant and you're obviously COO of Swapsicle. So it'd be interesting to get, you know, your perspective from both sides. Yeah, I think it's very much along the same kind of lines as you guys, to be honest, the, as you were saying, with the guidelines being, you know, released without any prior consultation, a lot of the guidelines are very open to interpretation, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people could take it. Um, and again, like you say, me being from DeFi, there are so many new and intricate ways of uh, DeFi being released all the time. So there is no way that these guidelines are going to constantly be up to date with the constant shift and momentum of this industry. So yeah, I do agree that, you know, there does need to be, you know, these workshops obviously are really starting to help, but getting there along the line to make sure that, you know, there's a clear path for everyone to follow really, because, you know, there's millions of different products out there now, millions of different tokens, and, you know, <laughs> it's just going to get more and more complicated. So yeah. Hopefully we get there. Cool. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, the, the main sticking point for the, the new guidance is this concept of when things change beneficial owner. And it's like, what, what asset test do you put in place to know when that happens? Right. And the, the, there doesn't seem to be any kind of um, any rationale behind that to decide, you know, black and white when there is a change of beneficial owner. So you know, we, we've mentioned that we're going to cover off things like staking, liquidity pools, um, lending, loaning, you know, when you in like when you kind of participate in those activities and the counterparty, you know, it could be a smart contract, it could be a person, it could be an exchange. It just seems that there's like a blanket approach that that is a change of beneficial owner um, and doesn't actually look at you know, who controls the assets or what controls are in place where you might actually retain some kind of ownership. Um, don't know what you guys think of that. So just, just to jump in. Yeah. Just to jump in on that, Dan. So I, mm. I had a conversation with someone, um, I won't name who they are on here, but, and, and their view was that, and, and they, yeah, I won't say too much. It'll give, probably give away who it is. Um, but their view was if if the beneficial ownership doesn't change, so take Swapsicle for example. I spoke to our CTO at Swapsicle and said, you know, if somebody stakes their funds on our platform, like effectively, do we have access to, you know, let's take FTX as an example, right? If, if it clearly, based on this morning's news that um, that SBF was arrested, clearly they believe that assets were were stolen. If you like, do you know what I mean? They were they were used for purposes that they weren't allowed to be used for, right? In so you in the DeFi world though that in some cases and, and Swap Score is a perfect example, um, you know 
that doesn't happen. We we can't unless we steal people. I say it can't happen. Obviously, we can steal people's phones, right? Obviously, we could do that. That's yeah, anybody can do that in in the world. But what we can't do is use phones in a, in a way that the terms and conditions don't allow us to. If that makes sense, because it's all held under a smart contract. So somebody would have to kind of um, break the smart contracts, as it were, to then steal those funds rather than them just being deposited in a bank account or, or, or a custodial account that then somebody can just go and pick some money out of and, and use. Does that make sense? I don't know if I explained that very well. But so yeah, my point sense. is the terms and conditions, the terms and conditions of Swapsicle, for example, would mean, in theory, that there is no change of beneficial ownership because we are not able to access those funds. We're not able to use those funds. We're not able to do anything with those funds. They're simply being held effectively in like escrow on in a smart contract on behalf of other people. So that, that person then said to me, well, if that's the case, and that's what the terms and conditions say, there is no change of beneficial ownership, and therefore you don't have to apply yeah. the guidance. The problem with that is, and you're a software guy, right? So the problem with that is, that's all very well and good, but how does this piece of software like uh, fix that problem because you can't go over oh, this exchange it does this for that exchange it does that you know because there's millions of exchanges out there so yeah. then you've got to go down the blanket rule approach and the blanket rule approach is either it's disposal or it's not and and I, so i think I, I understand what they're saying in that well if it doesn't apply don't apply it that that's fine but that doesn't help the mass market do you know what i mean that doesn't help automate and speed up the process of, of the administration of doing your, your tax return or, or reconciling your accounts because it, it's a diff- could potentially be a different rule for every exchange if that made any sense it's a bit garbled no that makes that makes a lot of sense i thought it was quite interesting what you said about um terms of service so ftx's terms of service said that you retained like the legal title to your yeah. assets and that they were yours so then you know if we've got hmrc looking at terms of service to decipher if there's like a change of beneficial owner, well, those terms of service might be contradictory to the actual facts that, you know, what have actually happened with your assets. You know, FTX say that I've got a Bitcoin on the exchange, but there was no Bitcoin, right? Um, so then it, it's then how do you, how do you then, how do you then throw this into the mix as well of deciding if there's a change of beneficial owner? Um, and, you know, your, your point on smart contracts as well, you know, you could code a smart contract in, you know, an unlimited set of combinations. And it's going to be really difficult to determine, you know, what the hallmarks are of a change of beneficial owner. Like you say, you know, you, you think that the smart contract on Swapsicle acts as an escrow. HMRC's kind of approach on that might be that they see the smart contract itself as its own beneficial owner. Um, so it's... It, it's trying to come up with that rule set and that, that, that level playing field. And I think they did kind of address some of this in the, the call for evidence that they put out in the summer. And to be fair, what they're striving towards in that call for evidence does seem very sensible, but we kind of haven't seen any movement on it as yet. I don't know when it's dropping. No. I, I, and I think, like, yes, and, you know, I think that there's a, an issue or if you like, you know, what, what FTX did was clearly against their terms of service, right? So they, yeah. you know, that was clearly fraud, clearly theft. And, you know, they're clearly, you know, was something very different. What, and I guess what I'm talking about here is the difference. And this is why I say like, what happened with FTX wasn't crypto's problem. What happened with FTX was a fraudulent person or, or, or group of people that, that decided to do something that wasn't allowed. That's not, in fact, with Swapsicle, in principle, crypto solves that problem because we can't, 
do it. And I keep saying we, people probably don't know, but I'm CFO for, for Swapsquad as well. So um, so we can't take that money. Like we physically can't do it. It's not there. It's not it's not in a pot for us to take. The only way we could do it, like I say, is if we if we stole it or, or, or altered the smart contract in some way or or what have you. So I think there's also a big difference there. Do you know what I mean? Between what what can be done in the kind of centralized world and what, what can't be done in, in, in the decentralized world. And that, I think, is really important for HMRC to look at, to understand, and lawmakers to say, well, hang on a second, let's think about this. If we don't have a centralised third party, there can't be a rogue person, and therefore the rules have to be different for centralised to decentralised. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, I mean, you know, HMRC, can, they can read over FTX's terms of service, Celsius's terms of service. You can make a determination if there has been a change of beneficial owner. But what's going to be really difficult is you're going to actually have to read the code for all of these different smart contracts, all these decentralized mm. platforms. And then you're going to have to make a judgment of how you've interpreted the code if there is a change of beneficial owner. Um, so again, you know, this is probably all solved by, you know, the call for evidence that they put out in the summer. Um, whether or not we'll see any impact from that call for evidence, I don't know. It's, things have gone very quiet. But we, we kind of put our case together at Crypto UK, right? To, there was three options um, of how we can create a carve out for, for this scenario. And, you know, with stocks and shares, they have carve outs. You know, there's the repo rules. If you're lending your stocks and shares out, you pay no tax. We want those kind of carve outs for crypto. And it did seem that HMRC were kind of warm to that. So maybe we will see change. Maybe this problem will go away. But I'm sure there's going to be another problem that jumps in just because the pace of the market and the innovation, it's just so hard to keep up, right? But that, yeah, that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? It, it changes every, every day. Um, I'd be interested, Tom, on your side, like as a, as a taxpayer as well, right? Because, mm. you know, you've been in DeFi. So you, you know, how do you perceive it from a, from a taxpayer's perspective as well? Sorry, in terms of the ownership question? Well, like, yeah, how do you feel like when you're like as a taxpayer, but also an accountant, but also someone working in DeFi, like how do you see all of this change of beneficial ownership and like where's your views on it? Yeah, I mean, obviously with the whole decentralized aspect, obviously, as we said, the whole point of the decentralized nature is so that you are always in control of your funds. So there is no third party, there is nobody there to access those funds only you can um you know that's why i love what swapsicle do that's why i love the smart contracts that have been built you can verify everything all directly on the block scanners you can see that this is a smart contract this is where the funds have been deposited you can as you said you can see the code you can check who has access to it you know and that's why we have all of these audits done as well to make sure that these smart contracts are airtight nobody else can access them other than the user um, and, you know, I think that's such a crucial point in terms of, you know, ha has the ownership really transferred? Not really. You know, I can still access it. I can draw it out whenever I want. Um, you know, there are DeFi products out there which have penalties on them and other sorts of things. But, you know, you're entering into that with, you know, your permission as such and you can take it out with your permission. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's an interesting topic for sure. But I do think it's, it needs a bit of work. Mm. I mean, do you think do you think the the crypto world's going to go full decentralized now we've had these collapses of I, I can't even recall how many companies are in Chapter Eleven at the minute it's Celsius, Block Five, Voyager, 
FTX. There's probably like three or four more to come, right? So is is this the push that everybody needs to go fully decentralized? I think in terms decentralized in nature, in terms of the way the current laws and regulations are, I don't think a fully decentralized environment could work um, purely just for disclosure mm-hmm. reasons. You know what you know what everybody needs to know. Um, Obviously, in terms of avoiding, you know, like an FTX situation, yes, it's shown that it's very crucial and that we do need these setups. Um, however, mm. I think we'll probably come to a conclusion of more of a hybrid model um, because, you know, you could go through a full DAO structure, be completely decentralized, you know, operated by a community of anonymous people. That's great. But are you going to be able to, you know, report and regulate these kinds of structures? Probably not. So you need to kind of mm. make it so that you have a core set, you know, kind of what we're doing at Swapsicle. We have a core centralized team. We have a board, which, you know, all the decisions pass through that. Um, however, obviously all of the users are still in there, still own their funds. They can still make all their decisions. They can give input as to how, you know, proposals that go forward, but it's still run by a core team. So I think we just need to try and find that happy medium really as to, you know, we can't control users' funds. So therefore, the users are always in control, but at the same time, there is a team running the platform to ensure that it stays stable. So you've got to kind of find that middle ground. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems to me that like the centralized exchanges, they're not going to go away, right? Everybody wants that that kind of easy on-ramp, but maybe we could use, you know, a, a lot of the exchanges, right, are doing like proof of funds and cryptographic techniques to, to confirm where assets are and how they're held. I think bringing that kind of technology into a centralized exchanges is important. And I think a lot of the good exchanges have been doing that anyway. Um, It's the whole kind of um, verify, don't trust argument, isn't it? Um, You don't have to trust with with the whole decentralized world. And that's that's the big thing, isn't it? You know, what's people's biggest issue with FTX? The biggest issue is that they trusted a third party with their money. And lo and behold, you know, someone said to me this morning, I had a meeting this morning, and he said, as, uh, humans are made to, and uh, hopefully you don't mind me swearing on this, to Careful. fuck over other humans. Like, that is, like, that's what, what he said to me. And like, and, and uh, like, I'm not saying that that is everybody, but ultimately, as, as humans, you know, we've got that, you know, competitive edge or whatever it is, we've got that desire to want more, we've got that, you know, and, and sometimes that pushes it over the line. So as humans, we have that in us to, to go that bit further, you know, did, did, and I don't know, because I don't know, but did SBF wake up, it, you know, when he started FTX and go, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to screw everybody over. Like, mm-hmm. he probably didn't. Like, let's be fair. He probably got it. Probably got a little bit away from him. He probably did something and then did something else and then just, and then all of a sudden you're in this hole that you can't get out of. So you know, I think the other thing there is like, as human beings, we then make decisions. So obviously there are some people that wake up in the morning and, and they they do bad things because that you know that's the way they're wired and and they always intended to do that bad thing. But there are other people where they just they get in a hole. And I'm not excusing that, but as a human, your automatic reaction is to defend yourself. Do you know what I mean? So when he's in that situation, what's he going to do? He's going to do whatever it takes to defend himself. And if that means making the fraud effectively worse to try and do that, he's going to do that. So in the decentralized world, in a smart contract, that doesn't happen. We haven't got a human brain to make that decision. It's not about whether or not that person wants to defend themselves or not. It's about whether or not the smart contract agrees with the the way the transaction is going to work. So 
as Tom said, you know, do I think that we can be completely decentralized? No, I, I don't. I think that it needs, you know, you need executives at the top of companies in order to make decisions. I, I do, I do agree with that. Um, but I do think that computers in a sense or, or whatever can take or smart contracts can take away some element of human emotion from a, from a, from a situation. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that could be removing human emotion from a lot of things can be a very good thing, especially for, I mean, we see a lot of customers that trade or tr I should say attempt to day trade. Um, so you know, they, they read all the stories online, yeah. they think they can make money. Um, you know, they, they try and, um, they subscribe to certain influencer channels that give you strategies of how you can earn like a day trader income. Um, but what's really going to trip you up is your human emotions, right? You're going to get greedy. You're not going to set enough aside. Um, and funnily enough as well, that's, that's also going to screw over your tax position if you don't, if you don't plan that at the same time as well. So I, I do like that smart contracts kind of, kind of keep your feet to the fire. You know, they keep well feet on the ground, probably is a better word for it. Um, set of controls, um, help you invest in the market, set of constraints that only allow you to do certain things. Um, it's it's a great innovation. And you know, one of the things that frustrates me is this the whole industry is is very innovative and we have this ambition for the UK to be a crypto hub, but yet certain things maybe from hmrc the guidance that was released kind of contradict that that greater vision for the uk to be a crypto hub so do, do you think we can get there do you think we can we can be this beacon jurisdiction that is going to be a crypto hub or do you think we've got a lot of work to do personally uh, yeah i think it's going to be a challenge for any um what's the word I'm trying to use, like kind of like um, established uh, country. So, you know, UK, US, um, you know, even places like France and, you know, where, where actually we've got so much going on. We've got so many other rules and things like that that contradict potentially what, what the benefit, if you like, of, of, of going down the kind of crypto world looks like. That I, I do think that, actually you're potentially always going to have a have to look at those ones that maybe have a bit and, and this is a bad example but let's say like i don't know let's take ireland as an example right you know let's say ireland doesn't have as and i'm making this up by the way doesn't have as as as, as kind of strict rules on certain bits and pieces they they've kind of got the ability to go do you know what we we aren't tied to all these different things over here and over here and over here so actually we can just forge our own path and create something special whereas the uk as much as we think we're independent you know if the us tell us to jump we say how high you know so in reality how much are we gonna how much are we gonna be able to do it is my worry like and and, and that's not through want to try but it's just through the, the generic like where we are in the world, like, you know, we are play whereas a, a country that has a little bit more kind of like independence, I guess, from, from the global economy, maybe that has more chance of saying, do you know what? We can really ad adopt to this properly because we have a little bit more independence and in a way got nothing to lose. Whereas the, the UK, you could argue have quite a lot to lose by upsetting their, their friends or their uh, acquaintances. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you have any views on this as well, Tom. You know, it seems it seems to me there's like this there's this ambition here, and for for me, like that it's just obvious that crypto is going to be this major development. 
Like you look at like user adoption growth, it's like compound annual increase of like 120% year on year, you know, potentially a billion crypto users by 2030. So it's like blatantly obvious that this is going to be like a major thing. And, you know, I've been involved in crypto for a very long time. Um, we met with some, some regulators very early on in 2013 and we're still, you know, nearly 10 years on and there's still these like regulatory log jams. There's, you know, let's face it, the tax needs sorting out for this. It needs, it needs simplifying dramatically. And yet there's all these other jurisdictions that are, you know, they're taking a piece of that pie, the early infrastructure, and we've kind of lost first mover advantage. So have you got some similar frustrations? Yeah, I mean, Joe pretty much covered everything that I would have said, to be honest. The main thing is going to very much be, as you say, having these clear regulations and policies in place, which make it really easy for, you know, the bigger corporates to follow along. Because at the end of the day, adoption is going to be the most important thing for us to become, you know, one of the global hubs of crypto. Without adoption, mm. we're not going to get anywhere. And until these guidelines are clearer, nobody's going to want to touch it. It's as simple as that. So we need to get to that stage where clear guidelines it's adopted, you know, widely accepted. Um, and then we'll get there. But yeah, as we say, it's a delicate economy at the moment. We want to make sure that we tread in the right place. And obviously, unfortunately, with all these bad events this year, it's probably not helping at all. So yeah, it's time will tell, as you say, it's dragged out for a long time. Um, and but hopefully, now that we've finally got stuff moving through Parliament, uh, we might see the end of the tunnel in the next five years. Hmm. A lot of noise at the moment, isn't there? The signals are user adoption, yeah, but all the noise is Dan? FTX and everything. What do you think, Dan? What do I think? What on on the UK being a crypto hub? Yeah. Um, I I think it all yeah. it all depends on leadership. I think um, you look at certain jurisdictions where um, they perhaps have um, a bit more autonomy in terms of political process. So, um, you know, if you're somewhere like El Salvador and you're a dictator, you can decide tomorrow if you want to go on a Bitcoin standard. Um, if you're um, the Sikh of Dubai, you could decide that you want to be a crypto hub. Um, for the UK to have the ambition to be a crypto hub, that is a democratic process. And I think there's there's a lack of understanding with crypto, which is kind of the main barrier as to why we haven't embraced it. I mean, we are a massive financial center, like arguably the world's largest financial center. We are a DeFi, well, not a DeFi hub, we are a FinTech hub. And for me, um, crypto is just the next iteration of FinTech. And we've, it, for me, it's just passed us by in the UK and all the top entrepreneurs that you know use Recap to do their taxes, they're structuring things offshore, they're covering their ass from a regulatory perspective because they are scared of, of operating here because there is no clarity. Um, so, you know, are we hollowing out the UK in terms of this new innovative industry? I would say that we are at the moment and the government really needs to pull the finger out if we want to retain being a, a world leading, world leading financial hub, because everything's going to go crypto. Like there's just no question about it. Everything is going to have some kind of crypto rails and yeah, we've probably missed the party, but maybe we can get some of that back because we have mm. had some of these issues like FTX, Celsius, you know, we're, we're very good at being like, 
highly regulated in like market here. Um, so maybe, maybe we can kind yeah. of spin it around. Maybe. Yeah, that is true. The regulatory piece is true. We do have a very good regulatory framework here in terms of the, I mean, so very good extremes, but you know what I mean? In terms of the, uh, the way that the, the framework works and the protections that it offers, we do, we do seem to stand out in that. So you're right. Maybe we can. And that does um, attract. I just think, capital, you know, you right? like to say it's democ- Yeah, it does. But like, again, you come back to the democratic process, like, you know, it's all very well, the three of us sitting here and going, we're all from the UK, you know, we vote for it. But mm. the majority of people aren't in crypto. The majority of people don't care about crypto. And in fact, probably the majority of people think that it's a scam. So actually, if you if you take a, a democratic approach, do you actually get the answer um, that, that we as crypto people want in terms of in terms of the regulation and, and support and, and whatnot? Potentially not. So that's the other problem, you know, um, by taking that democratic approach. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Um, there's a round of bills to go through, right? So we will maybe some positive outcomes to come. And I think that if we get the DeFi call for evidence response that we want, that's going to simplify a lot of things for, for you guys, right? At Swapsicle and everybody that's using it. Um, it's going to carve out all of those people from creating disposals. Um, I've got some questions um, from our community. So we, we sent out a, a Slido yesterday asking, or well, basically saying we've got Joe and Tom on today. Um, what questions do you want to ask them? Um, and I've got three ones on here. Um, we'll start with the first one. So we've got, we've got a customer with who's staking coins. Um, and the value of those coins have dropped 25% from their initial value. So his staking rewards have dropped in value. He's left with 25% of what they're worth. Um, what can he do? when he's filing his taxes, because he, he needs to draw down some of those funds to pay his tax bill. Do you want me to say these time more? Yeah, go on. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess in, uh, you know, in that particular case, there isn't a great deal, um, you know, you can do in that the income, if it was generated in a previous tax year, for example, you know, that will still be subject to income tax at the rates that um that it was that it was brought in at um so yeah unfortunately there isn't anything to do with that the only thing i would say is like planning ahead you know if you are generating passive income through staking or you know um mining or or anything like that i would say plan ahead you know think about what the um and i appreciate this is easy as an accountant to say you know, if we were talking to clients who run businesses, for example, we'd be talking to them about putting some money aside for VAT or for, for corporation tax or self-assessments, you know, et cetera. And, and the same does apply here. If you're earning, if you're generating a passive income, um, you know, even just putting 20% to one side would give you a starting point to, um, you know, to make sure you've got something in the pot. Um, so, yeah, I would say, unfortunately, there's not a great deal you can do if the, if the value has gone down um in in an annual crossing tax years as well that's another problem mm. uh, you know we've got a lot of people where they earned good money in the last tax year we're now in the new tax well i say we're now in the new tax year but obviously we're six nine months into it well um but you know that that income effectively still stands from you know from last year so 
Um, there are things you can potentially do going forward. Like if the token then becomes, you know, kind of negligible, you can do things like neg negligible value claims and things like that. But most of the, most of the, the reliefs are, are weighted towards capital gains tax as well. Yeah. And we're talking about income tax for, for staking rewards. So yeah, unfortunately not a great deal you can do. Um, but I would just recommend planning, trying to plan a bit and put, put some to one side. Yeah, that's good advice. I mean, do you, do you guys plan, plan your crypto taxes? Do you use any kind of software? You don't have to, you don't have to say you use Recap. <laughs> <laughs> you can say that you use some software. But I, I think it's I think it's interesting that um, you know people that are heavily invested in this market they don't have their finger on the pulse of like what is their tax position, what's their bill going to be next year. Um, have I set enough aside for it? You know, there, there, there seems to be a kind of like a lot of head in the sand around this kind of stuff. And like you say, it is like running a running a business, especially if you're participating in, you know, kind of like rewards based activity, staking rewards and things. Do you think that though is because the, and, I, and this is not disrespectful, by the way, in any way to anyone, but is mm. that because people aren't business owners, you know, therefore they don't think about these things and, and potentially their, mind, their minds aren't wired that way. And actually the biggest thing we can do as, as accountants or as, you know, I would even argue people like Swapsicle is, is education. You know, mm. how do we educate people? Say for you, Dan, as a recap, you know, you know, how do you educate enough people, get the message and things like this, obviously a one way, you know, we do our own podcast, shameless little plug. Um, nephology if you want to find it on, pod, on uh, any podcast uh, Get it in there. place um, but like you know how yeah um, like you've got to like education is the key so we we mainly at the moment um, we use Coinly um, as our as our tax software um, you know obviously we're, we're going to use you guys much more in the future of course but um, yeah so like we would always recommend that you use something like that to do it um, but again, I, I would, uh, you know, throw that at Tom as a taxpayer again, you know, um, did you plan, you know, did you have anything to, to aside or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it helps a little bit me being an accountant, I did have, you know, some sort of grasp that I would need to tax plan, um, even though tax isn't my specialty. I, you know, put money aside in the process, that's all fine. You know, it did occur to me that I would need to register for self-assessment. But again, that might not be, you know, apparent for most people. Um, and um, yeah, no, I had a you know little play with a couple of different types of software. You know, I had a rough estimate in my mind of where my liability would sit. Um, you know, and that's kind of where you get to. But it is, you know, right insane. A lot of people who have entered into crypto, a lot of people I know, especially retail traders, have never registered for self-assessment before. You know, they don't know this arena so yeah education is key yeah we mentioned on the the last episode that our hmrc gonna have their their cake and eat it as such because you know they're not they're not really educating people that you know if you're on paye and you're on coinbase on your lunch break you know mm. registering for self-assessment is just not on your radar it's, it's just not right all your taxes handled through paye no and then, you know, you haven't filed and, you know, you might, yeah, yeah, they might find some data on you, right? They might go to Coinbase every year and go, actually, this guy traded and sent you a brown, send you a brown letter. Um, and then we know we've got like compliance things coming in the future, like CARF, Crypto Asset Reporting Framework, where HMRC is going to get all this information. And then they're going to come down really heavy on people and say, well, you haven't filed. But then who's educating them in the first place? I mean, yes, we can. 
Um, but where's the budget from HMRC to tell people that they need to file, they need to get ready for self-assessment? Um, I think I think that's missing at the moment. Um, there's a lot of stuff on enforcement and fines, but there isn't anything on actually what you need to do. Yeah, and look, I don't want to I don't want to stick up HMRC in any way here, by the way. But like my other argument, then we've we've had this conversation down as from like the last kind of call times. we had in terms of DeFi um, as well. We talked about you know um, you know, but, but how much responsibility is on HMRC and how much responsibility is on the taxpayer? And I'm mm. not saying that HMRC HMRC should do nothing, mm. but at the same time, you know, we talk about government spending and and, and public funds and where that should be deployed and you know, should you be paying nurses pay rises or should you be paying HMRC, you know, the money to, to educate, you know, that. And I, and I think there's a huge um, question mark there as to, uh, you know, to what what extent should HMRC be educating and to what extent should should people like us, you know, the private sector, you know, how much should we be doing? And, and, and you know, you're, you know, as a company, great at it. You know, I think we're pretty good at it. Um, you know, so I think that is really important as well that, that we don't just rely on the public sector we don't just rely on government funded organizations as private companies you know we do more to educate and to support and to help um which i think the likes of recap and, and minor and right vigar and people like that are very good at which is really important mm. yeah i thought it was interesting what you just said then about like um kind of like self-responsibility for these things a little bit um so there's a, there's a lot of synergies with, you know, just, just managing your crypto. You know, if, if we look at what crypto is all about, it's about self-custody and it's about owning your own assets. And if you think about it, most people have been used to having like a bank that looks after those for them, right? Someone else looks after your money. You, have, you don't have to think about chucking it under the mattress or whatever. And then crypto came along and then everyone's all of a sudden got to get a hardware wallet and write down a seed phrase and go through all this painful process to have self-custody over your assets. And I think, you know, the same is with tax, right? People that are on PAYE, it's done for you, right? It's just not on your radar and it's a massive ball ache to do it yourself, to find an accountant, to register for self-assessment. Um, but it's part of a process to becoming an investor. Um, so, you know, perhaps as people become more wealthier in crypto, you know, they make some decent gains, then it's more on their radar. Um, I don't know. Tom, what do you think? I mean, you know my view. Like, I just sorry, Tom. Uh, sorry, Tom. Um, like, my view is very much like about personal responsibility. My view is, you know, people need. To, we've got a blame culture. We all want to blame everybody else. Everyone, mm. you know, if you haven't got any money because your crypto has gone down, you're going to blame HMRC for not applying a slightly different rule. Or and and like I said, I'm not a fan of a lot of these rules. I'm not a fan of you know, sometimes the way HMRC operate and, and things like that. But I am a fan of personal responsibility. People have to take responsibility for their actions. And, and it's too easy to blame other people. And like you say, crypto is built on self-custody. Crypto is built on not relying on anybody else. Yet crypto people then want to rely on somebody else to to fix a problem that they might have created. So, you know, I'm, that's probably going to piss a few people off that listen to this, if I'm honest. Um, but it's a fact. Like We've got to take an element of responsibility. Tom said earlier... He's an accountant. Okay, so he's got a slight head start, but he's a taxpayer at the same time as well, you know, and, and he took some action. Um, so like, I just think personal responsibility is key. Anyway, sorry, Tom, for jumping in, taking over. No, that's all right. 
No, I mean, obviously, with most people that are investing in crypto, you know, most of them are going to use an app like CoinMarketCap, for example. You know, everybody's going to be tracking their positions. Everybody wants to know where they're at. And obviously, when they're recording these gains and losses, you know, you're tracking them for a reason. Um, you know, to be honest, I don't know many people who are just investing in crypto and just, you know, leaving it there. You know, most people are tracking and updating it. So the data and information is there for people to use. You know, these exchanges have the capabilities to export your, you know, Excel spreadsheets for these reasons. Um, and yeah, as you say, as Joe said, it's about self-responsibility. You know, you're doing all of this for a reason. You're, you know, you have the ability to track all these things and you know you've got to use it for something and that is your taxes. So yeah, it is very much down to just taking a step back you know, and just thinking about the wider environment that you're, you know, participating in. Yeah, we kind of said on the first podcast that um, I like sleeping, right? And I don't like brown letters on my doorstep. So, you know, that's, that's quite a good motivation to get in your taxes sorted, right? Um, and there's, there's some positives, you know, if you get on top of all this, you can understand your tax position, it allows you to plan and we got into a discussion around like, you know, if you really are like long crypto and you're looking at planning, you could look at things like SaaS pensions, like maybe incorporating a business, but you're not going to know if you need to do all of that unless you're doing your accounts. So, you know, something like Recap or other crypto tax software, you can get all that in, you can get that understanding and you can then make those decisions. Um, and it, and it could be pretty hands off once you've kind of got everything up to date. Um, but unless, unless people do that, you literally are kind of like, playing around in the dark, you're not going to know what your tax bill is. And then you're going to be asking questions like, you know, my assets have gone down in value and I've got no money to pay my bill. Um, so like Joe said, it's planning. It all comes down to planning. Cool. Mm. Should we go on to the next question? This is a really good DeFi one, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, so um, this user is asking, I would like to purchase a car by borrowing DAI on the decentralized Oasis platform with my Ethereum as collateral. Is this a tax-free transaction? Um, well, the short answer is, well, <laughs> based on the guidance, the short answer is no. Um, but, you know, again, having said what we said earlier about terms and conditions, as another argument say, you know, if you can read through terms and conditions, I haven't looked at them for Oasis, for example, but, mm. you know, if you were to read through terms and conditions and find, you know, find an element of that, that, that clarifies that there is no beneficial ownership change when you, when you collateralize that loan, then potentially you could look at that as not being a taxable transaction, but per the guidance, a collateralized loan, putting collateral down is deemed a, uh, a transfer of beneficial ownership and therefore that Ethereum that you put as collateral will be a taxable disposal. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm on the similar viewpoint. I think you could argue it if you really wanted to, but it's kind of like medium to high risk, right? Um, and th th this is really frustrating yeah. for me because... And I'm not saying that it's right. Yeah, yeah. Th this is kind of really frustrating for me because like a year ago, there was like the whole kind of like all the influencers on Twitter, you know, throw your collateral down, take out a loan, don't create taxable events. And a lot of that was coming from US influencers that have a very different tax system to here. Um, and then we got the, the, the DeFi lending and staking clarity in February. 
And yeah, lo and, lo and behold, if you had done all of this stuff, um, you're going to be in quite a tricky situation. Sorry, Tom, yeah. you're going to say something. No, I agree. No, um, yeah, I didn't have much more to add there, to be honest. Um, I was just going to say, obviously, the, there's obviously the interest implications and stuff as well you've got to consider in that case. But yeah, other than that, yeah, it's a disposal. So how will it how will it change if we get through our DeFi lending and staking call for evidence responses? How do you think it will change, Joe? Yeah, I, yeah, it's a good question. I'd have to uh, remind myself of some of the bits and pieces that we <laughs> that we put in there. But um, you know, from from my perspective, it's all about um, I guess, and and it's funny actually, because we talk about this internally in the office around a difference sometimes between accounting for businesses and and, and tax for for individuals or what have you. And mm-hmm. and in, in in accounting, there's a lot more substance over form. Um, you know, what are you doing? It doesn't really matter what the concept is. It's actually what are you physically doing? Let's mm. let's look at that and then let's account for that based on what you're doing, right? Uh, you know, and whereas tax, it does seem a lot more like this is the rule. This is what we say. It doesn't matter what you were intending because that's the rule and that's what you have to do. Um, so I think there's an element of that that, that, that could be brought in uh, of like, what is the intention here? You know, when I collateralize a loan, do I believe that I'm giving up ownership of that asset? You know, and am I intending that part of the process? Now, I'm not saying this is exactly what we said, by the way, but like, you know, that is one thing that I think is really important is having that element of, of what are you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? Um, and, and I think that, you know, and, and this is an argument that I've had pushed back at me on many times that I've said it, but when I get a mortgage, and I put my house up as collateral effectively to borrow that money. I don't dispose of my house. The bank doesn't own my house. The bank has a charge on that property in that if I don't repay my debt, they have the ability to call that debt in, right? Um, so there's a there's a, an agreement that says that I will give them my house or I won't give them my house. They'll take my house if, if I don't pay my mortgage because there has to be protection for the um you know for the um for the for the bank that's that's lending the money but that doesn't mean the beneficial ownership is necessarily changed so should it be the same in crypto should it be that actually the ability to take back the collateral if not repaid is there and obviously at that point there's a change of beneficial ownership or should we have the route where we've got at the moment where it's a change at, at the point of, of transfer? I, I think it should be the opposite. I think it should be what, what I just, you know, the example I just gave. So again, the, the reason why people bat that back is they say that, it, you know, crypto is different. Um, and, and I think, I don't know about you, Dan, right. But when I say something that I think is fairly sensible, people say, yeah, but crypto is different. We can't treat it that way. It's different. But then when you say, well, hang on a second, the rules that you're using are the same rules that you apply to other asset classes. So for one minute, you want it to be different. And the next minute, you kind of treat it the same. <laughs> so I think a bit of clarity on, on that is important, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you say that around crypto is different. I mean, it is it is a very different asset to anything that we've ever seen before, right? This is an asset that you can own outright that isn't defined in law as like a particular type of asset class. Like the law commission have said there's this kind of work required to kind of get crypto into English and Wales law. 
Um, so we're we're kind of we're kind of dealing with this like nuanced asset that we've never seen before. We're trying to like apply existing rules to existing assets to something that is so nuanced. Um, and I think sometimes we do pick and choose that. Oh, it'd be great to include it under that, and then another time it's like, no, 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 it's completely different. We need something else for it. And I think what it needs is, and the, again, the law commissioner on top of this. Like, if you get it defined in law um, as its own particular type of property, then you can you can kind of rip up the rule book a little bit and define your own kind of rules around it. Um, you can define particular taxation on it as well. Um, and before that happens, anything that we do with you know the legal system or even HMRC rules around crypto assets, it's all just going to be kind of teetering around the edges until we can actually define it in English and Wales law. I, I, I guess the issue though with that is that's a whole different ballgame, right? Yeah. What we're doing at the moment is trying to, I say what we're doing, what, what, what HMRC are trying to do at the moment is say, look, we want to give a little, in their eyes, they want to give clarity. You know, I think some of us would argue that they've, they've done the opposite, but um, you know, what they're trying to do is give clarity. And I guess they would say, look, for us to get a whole new rule basis through, uh, you know, as, a, as an asset class is going to take years. And we're trying to give taxpayers that clarity now. Um, mm. and, and But you're right, though. I was going to point out earlier, actually, and, you, and I forgot, and then you've just made a good point, that you know the Law Commission are a great example of, of, a, of an organization that are trying to understand and trying to work on how can they change things, how can they improve it. Um, so I think that's a, yeah, they're a great example of, of, it, of it. I mean, we haven't seen any actual proof of the pudding yet, but the theory's there. Yeah, I read I read that Law Commission report in July, and I was just like, they just get it. They get that this is like such a disruptive mm. technology, and that the benefits to the economy are going to be insane. And the fact that they they actually want to find crypto assets in law, and they want like the UK to be like a major jurisdiction where it is defined in in the legal system, like kind of feeds into that that crypto hub narrative, right? But it's how quickly can we get there? It just it just seems that yeah. things take forever, um, and by which point we've lost our competitive advantage. Mm. Cool. I mean, Tom, are you are you thinking of you know collateralizing some of your your pop tokens to to buy a car? <laughs> um, no, take probably. quite a lot of pops, Tom. Yeah, yeah, no, probably. <laughs> Now, I mean, obviously, I'd be very surprised if anybody was up on their value, uh, tokens right now. So I wouldn't be wanting to dispose at the moment. It's the dream, though, right? Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe it isn't a disposal in a couple of years' time, and you know, not creating taxable events, and you get yourself a nice new car. Yeah. Very <laughs> Cool. So I've got one more question uh, from our community. It's around low liquidity coins. So um, basically they're saying um, that they they have some low liquidity coins um, coming in as staking rewards and they're trying to value those in GBP and they believe that that's kind of inflating the tax um, that they need to pay. And they're asking how best can I adjust the value of my staking rewards? I suppose the question is there, can you actually adjust the value of them? Have you got any thoughts on this, Joe? I was going to ask Tom to answer this first, but... Go on, um, Tom. 
Yeah, go on, Tom. What do you think from a DeFi perspective? Well, obviously, the issue with low liquidity coins is obviously it's incredibly hard to depict the market value because of how much you're going to get slipped. Obviously, the lower the market value, the higher the slippage percentage is going to be. So while, you know, on mm. paper, you're going to have a thousand dollars worth of this token, if the liquidity is only five hundred dollars, you're not going to get $1,000 for that token, you are going to get a significantly lower amount when you sell it onto the open market. Um, so yeah, it is quite, um, it's a it's a tricky one in terms of the valuation when it comes to low liquidity coins, because you know, obviously, that $1,000 on paper, you don't realistically want to use that if that's not what you're going to get back for it. Um, so yeah, I guess it all just comes down to um, are you going to take the rate you know, that you're going to take from selling onto the market, or are you going to take what's on paper? Probably a both are incorrect. So how do you find that happy medium? Yeah, tricky one, isn't it? I mean, yeah. value, valuations can really screw you over. Um, you know, do, do, where do you get the valuations from? How do you make sure it's consistent? Uh, how does it stand up to HMRC? You kind of got all these like questions. There's no black and white answer really, is there? It's kind of like just kind of do your best and try and justify it. Override it yourself maybe and justify it. Yeah, I think I think ultimately as well, a lot of this stuff, you know, we're talking personal taxes. So we're talking, you know, self-assessment, right? So we're talking, it is, it is what it says on the tin. It is a self-assessment of your, of your tax position. And if HMRC disagree with you, you know, then as I, my argument would be as long as you've got, you know, uh, sufficient evidence to back up the reasons that you've done what you've done, then in principle, you're in a you're in a fairly good spot, I think. And there, are, there is software out there. Um, there's a company called Luka, L-U-K-K-A. Um, I don't know if you've come across them, Dan, but they're really, really oh, good yeah. guys. That I, I do quite a lot with them. And they they have their, and don't get me wrong, this isn't for, for, for all tokens out there, but they have their kind of Luka fair value um kind of methodology where they basically kind of and i won't i won't do this justice by the way but they basically go out to like all these different pricing markets and and pull together what they would argue is a fair value um for that token because as as we all know right if i try and buy bitcoin on binance i potentially am going to get a different price now albeit very very slight given the, the liquidity of bitcoin on on kucoin as i will on on binance for example right um so even at that level there is the chance of, of, a, of a different, um, you know, different price. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to swap USDT for Ethereum on, on KuCoin, and it took me ages to get it to get the order to go through, just because it was like the prices kept changing. Whereas I did it on Binance, and it happened straight away because the liquidity is obviously significantly higher. That it just went, it just matched off straight away and went out the door. So yeah, I think I think that's a you know a way to do it is to get a fair value methodology. Um, and we, we talked before we came on air, you know, one client I was working with, we, um, we looked at their price of their token. And then we basically said, if they were to sell, so they, we went on the, on the decks that it was available to, to trade. And we typed in, say, I can't remember exactly what it was, but say a million, um, you know, of the token, if they were to sell a mini, million of the token, what would the slippage be? And the slippage was 98%, you know, so there's an argue, argument in that point to say, well, actually, there's zero value pretty much in that token because if I try or in the, the the holding that I've got of that token, 
because if I try and sell all a million, I'm never going to be able to, you know, generate, um, you know, the funds to, to cover, you know, to cover anything. So what is what are what are a million tokens worth? But then the other argument to that is if you had five, you know, you tried to sell five, you probably get like, say, a one or two percent slippage. All of a sudden you're now going, are those five worth a dollar? but the million are worth nothing, but then you can't have, you know, it's a really tough, like we can't have one taxpayer that says I've got a million, therefore it's worth nothing. And one taxpayer that's got five and they go, oh, well, that's worth a dollar. So there's $5 there. So it is really, really, really tough. Um, so I think it's going to be a hard one to argue, but you know, if you feel like you've got a methodology of, of, of working it out or, or you want to maybe spend the time of, on the day of you receiving those tokens, what the prices were on all these different exchanges that you could get it on. Yeah, maybe that's a that's a route. But again, you know, if you're using software done like like Recap, for example, you know, you guys are gonna have to pull data from, you know, sources such as CoinMarketCap and places like that. So then you're gonna have to override prices in the system and yeah. So it's a it's a challenging one, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Similar to similar to Luca, we use a company called Nomics. For our fair market valuations so they um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. they pull yeah. like all the top exchanges and they try and remove some of the exchanges that you know maybe are not as legitimate and um, to try and come up with a fairer fair market mm. value um, and liquidity is a factor in that as well um I, I think this question is like really a really challenging one and we've we've been into the weeds of this a little bit at crypto uk joe and it's like well what happens if you've got like you know, pop tokens on, you know, say they're on Avalanche, but then you've also got pop tokens on mm. another blockchain and you've got two DEXs on each blockchain. You know, do you use a fair market valuation across both blockchains? Do you just pick one? The similar kind of argument if you're trading Bitcoin, do you use, you know, you're trading it on Kraken. Do you need a value from Kraken or can you use a global market value? Um, there's no guidance on that. Mm. Mm. It's just some like what is consistent, what's fair, um, and maybe just stick to that one methodology. Yeah. Mm. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't really have an answer for you. It's, it's a tough <laughs> one. Yeah, Tom, what do you think? Yeah. Go on, Tom, I mean, you have the difficult question. Oh, I was just going to say arbitrage opportunities are always going to exist. You know, you're never going to get an exact price match across mm. multiple different markets and multiple different yeah. chains. Um, you know, that's why these arbitrage bots and stuff exist, you know, and people make a fortune off of it. Um, but mm. yeah, it, it is a very tricky one to get that baseline valuation. Um, and yeah, it, it, like you say, it's not an easy question to answer at all, but you know, there, there will be certain method a methodology to use. Yeah, sure. Cool. Well, we've been through some community questions, and I think we've we've kind of talked around DeFi enough. Hopefully, we're going to get some clarity from HMRC of what's going to change um, in the in the months ahead, and maybe some of these pain points are going to going to disappear at some point in the future. Um, but we're going to wrap it up now. Um, Thank you very much for your time on this, Joe and Tom. And I look forward to seeing you all on the next episode of Crypto Tax Sucks. Cheers. Mm -hmm.